Beware, spoiler phobes, you've stumbled upon a storm of spoilers. A podcast that usually covers Game of Thrones, but is taking an off-season tour. This week we'll be discussing Netflix's Luke Cage and the greater Marvel Netflix universe, which means the discussion can expand to include both seasons of Daredevil and season one of Jessica Jones, as well as speculation about the Defenders, Iron Fist, and the Punisher. We're not taking back the streets, we're just taking in the new Marvel show. Sweet spoiler Christmas. Hello and welcome back to a Storm of Spoilers off-season tour. My name is Dave Gonzalez and I've actually been to Harlem. My name is Joanna Robinson and I've never been anywhere near Harlem. And I'm Neil Miller and I have never actually been to any of the boroughs of New York City. So what? it's, I know, surprising because I've worked in the entertainment industry for uh, more than a decade now and I've never been to New York. Are you like wanted on one side of the Mississippi? Uh, not anymore. That got cleared up a little while back. That's good. But you, like our like our uh, topic, I am wanted in Georgia. So who isn't wanted what, in Georgia? What are you gonna do? Ah. Um, uh, like our topic, I have uh, un- unresolved father issues. I don't know. We're gonna talk about Netflix and Marvel's Luke Cage this week on Storm of Spoilers, the podcast that began as a podcast about applying Game of Thrones books to the HBO show Game of Thrones. We still do that occasionally, but not during the off-season, where we've been picking our favorite pop culture moments and uh, doing deep dives, uh, sometimes based on text, sometimes based on feelings. Uh, Some of the times that's more or less popular with you guys, and how we know about that (laughs) is uh, with reviews. (laughs) Joanna, do we have any reviews this week? Uh, yeah, we've got a couple. Uh, one was, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but Matt, I will acknowledge that Matt17777 was upset we did an episode about South Park. So I'm sorry that that upset you, Matt. This is not an episode about uh, wait, wait, wait. South Park. His, he ended it. Can I have slightly yeah. more context as to why he, he was upset? He doesn't like South Park? Okay, you know, here we go. I'll read the whole thing. Okay, what's happening with you guys? Four stars. South Park? Really? Couldn't find a more sexist and hateful show to talk about? This is pretty disappointing. Feels like after getting a bunch of comments about being too social justice warrior, you are now trying to pander to that crowd, forgetting most of your audience actually liked the way liked you just the way you were. I'm still going to give you four stars because I enjoyed many episodes of this podcast, but I get less and less excited as newer episodes come out. I hope you get back to being unapologetic social justice warriors that you used to be. Hashtag make SOS great. <laughs> <laughs> I love that hashtag. I'm sorry. I like actually love it. So, okay. But the real review that, well, this is a, a second review that I'm going to read is from Zwideout15. Uh, the off-season tour has elevated this podcast to a must-listen five stars. As a Game of Thrones podcast, it is a must-listen. As a podcast that dwells into other fandoms, it is required listening for everyone. The true elevating point, in my opinion, was a Suicide Squad episode. It was one of the best listening experiences I've ever had when it comes to geek culture. That was an elevation of discussion that was eye-opening. The hosts are all wonderful. I have listened to Joanna and Dave since their core days, and then to the Thought Bubble, and now this. Still haven't been disappointed. The revelation on this show, however, is Neil. He is outstanding, and I have scoured the internet and iTunes to find more of what he has done. Once again, the show is a must-listen. As a side, I would like also like to thank Joanna personally. I do not always agree with your point of view, uh, but you always make me think and help me look at issues differently. I really appreciate that. Some potential shows I can suggest for the future would be a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle episode with a focus on the cartoons and how they have changed since the 80s. A Last Airbender with a mention of the terrible movie. And finally, and most unlikely and most hopeful suggestion, the Animorphs book series. Oh my god. This is... <laughs> I've read all of the Animorphs book series. We could do that. We could do that next Of course week. you have. <laughs> Of course Dave has. Dave has read every, like, the entire series of every book where the spine of each book is under a half an inch. Oh, yeah, and, and, like, released in a certain period in the 90s, but definitely (laughs) when each one was a different morph of a child into an animal, uh, for sure. You've definitely read everything that I ever walked by at a book fair in middle school. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, everything Scholastic has ever put out. Um, so thank you guys so much for your reviews and keep them coming. Oh man, what was the name of the nice. spinoff race that he had a whole story? They were like blue. 
Buddy, you're burning future Animorphs. I know. Uh, yeah, I guess that's true. Don't go too deep. It had no. It had something. It had like that vague visual parallel with like the moons of Titan book. The Navi. And it, it, it was before the Navi, Joanna. I know. I know. God. <laughs> <laughs> I can't make an Avatar joke. Not during an Animorphs conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Too soon. Thank you guys so much for your reviews. Uh, yeah, I don't completely great. disagree with the South Park one because you know what? We're guys are we're giving you a grab bag of pop culture. We're of course going to be back when Game of Thrones is back, but like we're still only a little less than a year from that. So st- stick with us. Bad feelings are still feelings, and I, I think that's good. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, we <laughs> we're talking about things that interest us, and those may not apply to everyone. Yeah. So I think that's that's okay. And if you're not hurting anybody, and if you're just deleting the podcast out of your feed, uh, you know, live live and let live. And don't be like Live and Let Die, the really racist James Bond movie. Um, uh, <laughs> like what I was saying, Game of Thrones going to be back sometime next year in production now. Sometimes we get a little few tidbits about it. Uh, sometimes we have to come in and just, uh, pee, pee on your fire of hopes. Uh, I think this week we got a little bit of both from uh, Maester Neil. Uh, yeah, we got a few ravens from the old citadel, uh, citadel of Crazy Town. Although at some point we're gonna have to go back to the citadel and make sure that someone like cleans up. We should have left. It's been a while there. since we've been back. Oh yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> the first thing we want is sort of a, an off-screen experience, or I would say a third-screen experience, uh, which we wanted to plug. Uh, our friends over at Watchers on the Wall are planning a Con of Thrones for the end of June next year, and I will say this. Uh, I know personally, very strongly, considering attending, is in Nashville. Uh, Nashville's a great city. And also, uh, I think it's going to be super fun. And, uh, you know, if you're one of those people that, like, writes in your iTunes reviews that, like, I'm great, first, thank you. Second, (laughs) this may be your opportunity to meet me uh, because I have a a very strong feeling that... uh, I uh, will be in attendance at the very least. So, conofthrones.com uh, for those curious. Uh, it's very cool. I have a, yeah, I have a strong, I have a strong, strong feel. Maybe I'll so, actually get to meet you, great, you crazy strong. guys. I have to put on my, my younger body. <laughs> Dave will be the one in the Spider Man costume. <laughs> I think I'll just load my brain Krang style into my stomach bald body. The one actually, I used to go I mean, to the if, gay clubs. If Dave is going to dress up as anyone, I would say he could probably dye his hair blonde and go as uh, Rhaegar Targaryen, which, yes, thank nice you, uh, leads buddy. us into our next piece of news, <laughs> which I know Joanna wants to talk about, which is the uh, fake, I guess, fake casting of fake Rhaegar or Fagar uh, that emerged over the last week. Yeah. We're calling him Fagar Targaryen. Uh, well, Neil came up with that gem. Uh, Devin Oliver, who is a singer for, I believe a singer, yeah, for Icy Stars, which is a band that I've literally never heard of, um, it posted a selfie, a dreamy shirtless selfie with his bleached blonde hair saying, uh, well, no, no, he, he posted saying, I may or may not have made an appearance in Game of Thrones season seven. As we know, Game of Thrones loves casting musicians uh, in tiny cameo roles, little bit parts. Um but when the internet saw this and his bleach blonde hair, they made the, like, I don't know, Fight Club and Bravos leap <laughs> that uh, this guy was going to be playing. That this guy, who's a singer that I've never heard of, is playing Rhaegar Targaryen, a.k.a. the father of Jon Snow. I think, you know, um, no, I, I don't even think if we just see Rhaegar in a flashback, this guy mm-hmm. is playing him. Uh, I think this guy does have a, like a musical cameo, just like Sigurass and Macedon and Snow Patrol and all of them have had, but I don't believe that he is. So Rhaegar. what you're saying is that if they're going to cast a Rhaegar Targaryen, they are not going to do it in Weiss and Benioff's Spotify playlist, which is where <laughs> they get their extras. Yeah, and not this guy with his spinny arms. <laughs> I'm sorry, no. I mean, I think that the internet had a point to, to a point, um that Rhaegar is was known as a singer so it would it would make sense true, to cast true. someone who could sing if they're going to do like a full flashback but you know it's i don't know uh, i i i feel like they'd get a real actor i also feel like the yeah, the thing i like don't want to see if i'm going to see acts. one scene of Rhaegar is a touching singing scene right right from this kid who like 
wears a lot of lipstick. I don't know. I'm not judging. Like he he can take his spindly arms and his lipstick anywhere he wants to go, except into maybe the, the band's really good. I don't know. <laughs> maybe I don't know. Either. Um, they're no manimals, so. But I feel like I feel like they've been like dialing back and back and back their musical cameos, right? Like Mastodon barely in it. Um, last week it was last year it was of Monsters and Men, and like it's a pan. Oh right, they were in the so, uh, like, the theater scene. The, okay, the theater. Yeah, so like it's less. I think it's less than like Gary Lightbody singing, or you know, like mm-hmm. I don't know. So we'll see. We'll, yeah, we'll yeah. find Rose out. Just showing but, up. Um, yeah. <laughs> Lord uh, Rose. If, if anything, it's going to be um, who's the guy from Springsteen's band with the bandana? Oh. Van Zant. He's oh. going to show up as like a street merchant in King's Landing. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? So that's that. We don't think that that's actually Rhaegar. Uh, we could be wrong. We've been wrong before, but uh, I feel like we're, uh, we're feeling pretty strong about this. The one thing that we can confirm, uh, which also comes to us from Watchers on the Wall, is that Lord Glover is coming back, which uh, is, uh, I know, a favorite of Joanna, Lord Glover. I do love Lord Glover. Yeah. Um, yeah, Lord Lover is gonna be coming back, and you will remember him as, like, the Northern Lord with the bitchiest face <laughs> who made Jon Snow feel bad about himself. Um, the actor's Tim McNerney, who's someone who I really like, so I'm just glad to see him back. And he's, like, I don't know, he's that level of Game of Thrones actor that I want to see more of, versus, like, a Jim Broadbent. I want to see more of a Tim McNerney, because, like, or I'm, I'm butchering his name, Mc- McNerney. McNerney. Because, uh... <laughs> He's like that level of not famous where like he's just I mean he's 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 blackadder famous but like you know he's very much Lord Glover to most of us. So to expand that role excites yeah. me. If, if it he's is also expanded, one of the so uh you know he's like a British that guy, you know. Yeah. So but the other thing uh if you want to get a little crack potty about this is that if they do expand anything about Lord Glover if we remember from the books, Lord Glover has a, a fairly direct connection to modern-day Howland Reed in the sense that Lord Glover's, what, wife and son? No, Lord Glover's brother went out to find Howland Reed to recruit him for something. I don't remember what it was. Um, this is not the part of the year where we reread the books, apparently, or where I reread the books. But uh, there is a strong connection to Lord Glover's situation and re- you know, meeting, potentially, Howlin' Reed, who we think could be a guy who could show up and tell Jon Snow about his uh, parentage, but we'll see. So that, I think that would be an interesting way for them to deal with the North, because it doesn't feel like... Daenerys is going to be uh, rolling through the whole country this year, so that's that's right. a theory. And and it's worth pointing out that Tim McInerney, uh, where he was spotted, was in these same sort of set photos that where we saw Kit Harrington, Sophie Turner's body double, Gwendolyn Christie, and Daniel Portman. So it's like he, I mean, as you would expect, he's in with the Winterfell crew. So that's where we'll see him. Yep. Those are the Ravens. We'll uh, send them on back and get more next week. Well, um, the one thing that I'll say before we move on is that I think we've had a lot of, I think we've had a lot of people ask. I don't know. Uh, you know, for Game of Thrones fan, a natural show to be watching right now is Westworld. We will be talking about Westworld on Storm Oh, uh, yes. Uh, not this week, but we will be. So if you want to hear us and our opinions on Westworld... Um, and you don't want to read my recaps on VanityFair.com, you can listen to a future episode of Storm's Way. Or also this week's episode of Fighting in the War Room, if that's your bag. We talk about it with two dudes, because Katie had to put her baby to sleep. So, you know, as your mileage may vary. But uh, <laughs> we talk about science fiction, and well, uh, whether or not the slow burn of Westworld is going to uh, work out or not. But you know what else we guys we talked about this week? as sort of like a... A pumping, pumping the gas for this episode is we dipped, we dipped our toe right. into Luke Cage, the Marvel Netflix series yeah. that, according to David Ehrlich's text message friends, is absolutely horrible. So Matt Patches and I had to talk <laughs> okay. him down because, you know what? I really like Luke Cage. Does it have problems? Yes. Are those problems the exact same problems as every other Marvel Netflix series? Yes. But this one, 
I think spotlights a culture like Jessica Jones had a distinct point of view uh, that sort of knocked the male gaze into the female gaze as much as possible. This one is presenting a Harlem culture, which picks a couple different uh, subcultures of black and mixes them together in the vanilla uh, landmarkless Marvel universe. And I think ends up doing a pretty good job uh, telling the Luke Cage story. I think a lot of it comes from Mike Coulter, who just embodies the role. Who what, we, we were introduced to him on Jessica Jones, so we had that start. But even if we didn't have that start, uh, a lot of the decisions I think Luke Cage makes here is helped along by Coulter's performance and my immediate uh, believing of it. That goes for the majority of the cast, although whether or not their characters as they're introduced, uh, are as believable as the performances. Uh, I think our mileage may vary as we, as we go through that. But like overall, I'm going to say not as maybe on par with Jessica Jones, not as thrilling for me as daredevil season one, which I think really tried to do, uh, something different for the Marvel universe. And maybe I've just seen it too many times to, uh, like put Luke Cage at the very, very top, but tied tied for second as far as our Marvel Netflix verse is going. Uh, so much better than uh, Ninja Daredevil season two half two. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, let's 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 pass to Neil, who I'm curious about. Neil, Ooh. general opinions um, on Luke Cage. Well, uh, I think. You know, and it's interesting that we started this uh, sort of out of a transition from Westworld because there are going to be two conversations about both of these shows. One is sort of the technical storytelling um, side of things, which I think Luke Cage probably struggles with a little more. You can tell that um, Cheo Coker is kind of a newer showrunner. And there, there feels like a lot of wasted space, especially early on. Uh, and that's a, a, a real fancy way of saying that it's just slow to start, slow to get going. Um, but I think it finishes very strong. And I think that the other side of the conversation, the cultural side of the conversation, um, one of the people on this podcast uh, who writes for a very large publication wrote a very nice piece about Marvel um, starting to kind of reckon with its black audience. And this goes a long way um, and says a lot about the black experience, both in the real world. And also there's a lot of really interesting ties to like black exploitation. Um, so I think that it accomplishes a lot and I liked it. And um but it does it does suffer from being a little um it's it suffers from being probably longer than it needed to be like if this was a, like an eight episode netflix series i think they pr- probably would have uh staved off a lot of um criticism of it being very slow to start um but i do agree with mike about mike coulter i think it's interesting i was reading an article on um gizmodo in which uh three black writers kind of had a conversation about it and I was thinking as I was reading this about how everyone sort of describes Luke Cage as a very kind of conservative character he's Mike Coulter's Luke Cage is very quiet and sort of reserved reluctant hero which seems to kind of be Marvel's bag for their Netflix series and that's a little bit different than he was in the comics at least of the limited Luke Cage stuff that I've read but I feel like from an era standpoint, you couldn't have like a shit talking, jive talking Luke Cage walking around the modern streets of Harlem because that just wouldn't I don't it just wouldn't have matched with the tone that they've been going for. So I think I I like this version of Luke Cage and I like the world building they did. And um I think they overcome Luke Cage's number one problem, which is that an indestructible hero, similar to Superman, if done wrong, an indestructible hero is kind of boring. So they found ways to make that interesting, and they found ways to create stakes around a guy who is literally bulletproof. And I think they did that with a lot of social commentary, which I really liked. So I, I think I'm with you. I think I liked it more than most of the people in my Twitter feed, for sure. <laughs> One of those people is Joanna Robinson, who... <laughs> liked it question mark, <laughs> question mark. Uh, so my feelings about Luke Cage are really complicated and 
Um, I agree with you, Neil, that, and I said a similar thing about Jessica Jones. I feel like Jessica Jones had like eight episodes worth of story to tell and got padded out. And I actually think Luke Cage might have had like six episodes of story to tell. Um, I was being generous with my eight. (laughs) Yeah, I think it should have been six episodes. I think it would have been much stronger. Um, So, and I agree with you about Mike Coulter. And I think Mike Coulter is like an incredible star. A big part of that, I mean, is duh, how he looks. But like, you know, he just does really embody this whole thing. And if you are a fan of The Good Wife and have seen him as Lamont Bishop on The Good Wife, it's like a big difference. Um, he's like a, you know, a sharp suit wearing smooth talking Panther on, um, the good wife and, and like, you know, drug kingpin and all this sort of stuff like that. So like to see him do this, which we saw him do in Jessica Jones to a certain degree, like, um, it just shows that Mike Coulter is, it's not just like, it's not just like that Friday Night Lights thing where they found like that, uh, oh shoot, what's the name of the actor who plays Tim Riggins? Who I forgot for a second. Oh, uh, Taylor Kitsch. Yeah, the Taylor Kitsch like is Tim Riggins, so they just like pointed a camera at him, but he can't do anything else. Anyway, so I think Mike Coulter like has a chance more so I think even than Kristen Ritter and Charlie Cox to like really break out huge from this show. Um, I do, I would rank it Daredevil, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, Daredevil season two. That's how I'd rank the four mm. seasons. Uh, but we all know that I had like a lot of problems with Jessica Jones, and so here's the here's the complicated question that I'm wrestling with, which is what I was saying before was the reason I would rank Luke Cage above Jessica Jones is because Jessica Jones was so clearly supposed to be for me and I still didn't like it. Whereas Luke Cage, I was saying before is not for me. So like parts of it are not for me. And so that's okay. So like, it doesn't bug me that there's like parts of it that's not for me. And I'm like, okay, that's not for me and that's fine. I don't care. And I, and I like the things that are resonating with me. And then my great friend Vivian Kane, who writes for Pajiba.com, uh, sort of started to object to this phrase, not for me. And she she was doing this to her fiancé, who's a white dude, so like it wasn't directed at me, but I took the message, um, where she was just saying, it's not about you. It's for you, but it's not about you. And I, I don't know how perfectly to parse the, like, verbiage there i'm like generally in support of it like i support it i support that there's a show with like a lot of references that i that go over my head but that like you know um african-american nerds that i talk to are like yes this is awesome i love it i get all of this this is great this is for me i've never seen anything like this and i'm like well that's fucking great that's awesome like i you know and so i don't care that it's not for me um yeah and uh but there, man, there are some clunkers in Luke Cage. This, this is like to sidestep from the cultural conversation. But there are some lines where I'm like, how did that pass? How did that get through? Like what you talking about, things? Willis? No, I mean, what you talking about, Willis, is fine. But when like, when like uh, Luke Cage says, I think it's like episode eight or nine, where he's like, no, this is my cross alone to bear. I must do it alone. That was like, really clunky. I was like, you can't say that. Or uh, we're, we're going to talk about Method Man. I love Method Man's later appearance. Method Man was so charming and, like, perfect. But when he was in the radio station scene, he's like, you know, there's something really powerful about seeing a bulletproof black man, you know? And I'm like, you don't have to state the thesis of the show. Like, that's the <laughs> thesis of the show. And when you say it, it makes the show dumber. Just show it to me. Don't, like, say... Hey, did you notice there's a bullet? Like the showrunner already said it so famously that I really don't need method dancing. Do you so- think? Okay, so that's interesting <laughs> um, because I think one of the, I think what Viv says is is correct in that it's not about you or your experience or really any of the three of us in our experience, but it is for us in the sense that I feel like there's a lot of really interesting stuff in here about the black experience in America. Yeah. And I feel like moments like that is the show going one step too far into the instead of showing us the experience, telling us the you know what we're supposed to be taking away from it. Right, like when uh, Misty Knight's boss, whose name I can't remember, is like, "Well, if he's innocent, why is she running?" And he and she's like, "Well, he's a black man, and cops will shoot him, and like something you know, like blah blah blah." And I'm like, "Yeah, well, no, but I get that." 
And I already saw that with the way that co- the cops treat Luke Cage. Do you know what I mean? Right. But then, okay, but so it's not for us, or it's for us, we three social justice warriors. <laughs> but it's like not about comic us. Books. But, like, maybe the line, there's something powerful about a black about bulletproof black man is for someone who's even sort of further right than we are necessarily. That is true. Someone who doesn't like the visual alone is not going to drive home that message and they need method man to say it before he spits some great rhymes. Yeah. Uh. Well, I mean, I think that has to be it because I didn't feel alienated by this at all. I thought I was going to feel alienated by it, but I was like picking up musical references and uh, like cultural references and like you know i don't watch sports but i've hung out in enough places that like the basketball references and go over my head and it's because they're not super specific to like i'm going to walk into a barbershop in harlem and hear those conversations it's because it, they're the dramatized bridge between I know nothing about it and eventually you're going to have to live next to these people in your real life outside of this television show. So I think Luke Cage is good in not talking down about what it's talking about, but providing like a broad swath about it. I think the when it does do things like, uh, I guess the whole Method Man sequence in general really works for me, but it comes in like a weird spot in the story where we're like building up to this huge fight and instead we have to like stop and do something that could have like fit in episode two and felt like it was really supposed to be there. Yeah. Um, but like it, I feel like they saved it so much towards the end because like their thesis statement was a whole bunch of people walking around in hoodie bulletproof or hoodies with bullet holes in them when that could have been like the starting point of a deeper dive if it wasn't a show that had to ultimately end up being like a a superhero show. So it's like, I watch the wire and I see things about that. I never knew about black culture. Uh, you know that, you know, I'm now I have to like go talk to somebody and be like, is this a thing that, or is this like a fictional thing? Luke Cage, it's like all fictional representations of parts of black culture that I feel like if you have lived that, or if you know somebody that lives that, then you are like reading the braille. If you're somebody new, it's just not going to shock you. You're just going to maybe perk up and look at things as more recognizable around you. I don't like, I don't think it does a great job of, you know, educating black people about black people or even educating black people about black exploitation or Luke Cage. But I do think it does a good job of speaking to superhero fans straight. And for people that wanted you know, any sort of representation in, uh, you know, these Marvel generic superhero cookie cutter shows, you know, doing a slow burn around a community that, you know, has all these archetypes, I feel like was really smart. But I I, I don't think it it taught me anything. It just maybe is going to like provoke conversation. But uh, I don't think I don't think there's anything in this series you could point to and be like, that's black as hell like i was i was expecting it <laughs> to go to go harder uh i disagree like did you know that i mean and maybe i'm just well i'm i'm and like you know empirically whiter than you but like um did you know the phrase color struck like was that a phrase that you I, I i did all right i mean so i'm I d- just whiter than you i'm just whiter than you so i will say there i think there are things that are like explicitly black and there's like there's there's things about black culture and, and we're not even talking about like hip-hop or or like um, you know, the street culture of Harlem or anything like that. I'm talking about like the literature uh, references that he makes or like just some of the theories about how hip hop, you know, sprung up around Harlem. Um, I think like Cheo Coker is one of the smartest people I've ever talked to in my life. I talked to him for like two hours uh, for Vanity Fair. Um, I don't, I agree with Neil that I don't know that he's like the most nimble showrunner yet, but I think he's so smart and he put a lot of stuff in, he, in a Marvel show that, uh, you know, most other people given this opportunity wouldn't bother to. He's like, let me put, I read a lot of books, so I'm going to put a lot of books in here. It's going to be great. Um, well, so I, think there are- I guess if we took it out of blackness then and take it into people who watch a lot of TV, those chunks looked like, you know, like. Now I'm going to say my line about how I feel about Luke Cage. Now I'm going to say the thing that alludes to my past. Now I'm going to drop a cultural reference. And so it was easy to like find those cultural references is maybe what I'm talking about. But either way, well, the fact that 
there is the spectrum. Even, okay, sorry. Go I don't ahead. even know that I. I don't even know that I felt alienated. Like, like, uh, you know, I, I, if 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 I made that made it sound that way, I apologize. I more felt like um, I had to do some work, and I didn't mind doing the work. I didn't mind the googling that I did. I didn't mind the fact that I didn't know most of the people who showed up in the Paradise Club and had to Google them, and then like got to like find out about their music. I think that's great. Oh man, you probably had a better weekend than I did. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I'm just Discovery saying, like, I did music. not have that good music, like, discovery um, weekend. It was horrible. But, yeah, and I mean, like, I don't, you know, I know I know nothing about hip-hop. So, you know, this is educational for me. And, like, that might sound like the most prissy, stuck-up little white thing I've ever said. But, like, you know, I I liked it. I liked that. Um, I think Luke Cage has, has larger issues that have nothing to do with race and representation. And that would be... I think one of the biggest issues it had was a, a villain issue. Um, we're pretty spoiled, I think, uh, with Fisk in Daredevil and with um, David Tennant's character and Jessica Jones uh, with these, like, just phenomenal uh, villains. And Luke Cage is sort of split over three people with varying degrees, four if you want to count Theo Rossi, with, like, varying degrees of success, I would say. Um so, yeah, well, I mean, what do you guys think? Do you think there were really um, too many villains, or would it be, would well, it be I better think, for, like, one antagonist with a personal connection? I don't know. I think they have all the right ideas for a good villain. They just broke them into multiple characters. Yeah. Because I think the most compelling on-screen presence is Mahershala Ali as Cottonmouth. Yeah. But the most productive villain is Diamondback. Like, he's the one who actually does stuff. And then the sort of scariest or hardest to read is Alfred Woodard's character, the councilwoman. So you have these just three, normally you would get that in one person or maybe one organization um, in which you, you have someone who is an interesting screen presence when they're telling their story, they are, they have a plan and they're kind of hard to figure out. Right. But I think so, and I think it's 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 part of the larger problem with Luke Cage, uh, which it's interesting. You guys talked about the Method Man thing could have happened very much very early. The show gets stuck in this like having to ebb and flow between whether or not the streets are accepting of Luke Cage or whether they are rejecting Luke Cage, and I feel like they go through that too much, and that's a part and parcel with the villain problem is that like one villain is there it's it's a they're squaring off and uh then that villain is gone and then all of a sudden the other villain comes in and they're squaring off and there's they just try and flip the dynamic a little too much and i think it it's almost a symptom of having too much time and and yeah like uh, resources yeah they've got six episodes of a material to tell and like the scarf that's his name right scarf with an e on yeah, yeah, lieutenant. Uh, like that that i so you know unfortunately or fortunately or whatever i watched the first seven episodes like months ago and then watched the back you know six over the weekend and um so the scarf thing is like done within the first seven episodes. I mean, Marshala Ali is dead within the first seven episodes. So like mm-hmm. the six episodes that I watched had like none of him except his dead body. Scarf is dead. Uh, yeah. And it just see, and you know, and then you see like the rise of Theo Rossi's shades and like all this stuff. And then you've got like all these henchmen, like so many henchmen whose name I had to like Google to track them when I was sort of looking up things earlier today. And it's just like, it's a lot. And I agree with you. Like, I almost feel like it's two seasons of Luke Cage where uh, if we have like the pop centric Harlem centric, because I feel like we lost that real connection to Harlem later in mm-hmm. the season. And if you've got the pop centric neighborhood centric, um, cotton mouth centric season, and then you have like a diamond bag, Claire Temple, uh, Dr. Ber- Bornstein or whatever. Right. Um, season. Um, but to jam them together and and not have a graceful way in which was that guy's name really Doctor Borenstein? I thought so. Because that's the Trump that? doctor. Oh. I think that would <laughs> be so funny if that's the same no. thing. Doctor Al Borenstein is it or Borland? I thought it was Borland. Oh, is that the guy from Al uh, Borland? Is from Tool Time. I'm gonna look uh, it up. Keep going with your point. You're making an excellent okay. point. 
Okay. Do, do What do you think, Dave? Do you, uh, do you feel like there's two seasons of Luke Cage jammed into one? I mean, I can't tell if it's two seasons jammed into one or if it's one that got, like, shuffled all to hell when it got dropped on the floor at some point. Because it seems to me that there's a time that he could run and go back to Georgia and we don't have to deal with an embedded bullet and we could get all of his backstory and know who Diamondback is before he shows up and just tells us who he is. Yeah, that would also, I think, like add stakes where it become it makes the series about Luke and Diamondback working towards each other through Harlem and one cares and one doesn't. That could be really cool. But they just have everything shuffled around to the point where it's like Diamondback is like name dropped. And if you don't know, like that, this is Luke Cage, then you would just like he's just like uh, Big Boss X. He could be Kingpin for all we care. If like uh, in the early parts, and then he shows up without context by himself. Nobody calls him Diamondback for like I think the first two episodes that he's in yeah. while he's actually on screen. And at that point, he's already like, "And I'm your brother." And then we have to go and revisit I that know, with flashbacks it's so later. Weird. On. It's right. So, weird. so I feel like it's all there, but like the Netflix like pause tell an origin story, and the Netflix pause and let Claire fix the hero like got shoved in and made all the like the house of cards fall down because i i would have gone for you know just black mariah's entire character arc uh because cottonmouth and diamondback couldn't deal with like luke cage and then be like at the end be like no she's the villain that we've been focusing on this whole season i feel like is basically there it's just all in this fucked up order that like has somebody shooting a rocket launcher into a place called genghis Khanis for no reason <laughs> other than we need to waylay characters and reference yeah, genghis Khanis yeah, as many times as possible we need luke cage to be buried so that we could just do a flashback episode um the the the, the idea of mariah being like the real big bad is could have been so good like if it weren't so obviously from like from the jump that she was the real big bad because they kept saying things like "Ooh, i always saw saw something behind your eyes is this it you know what i mean so i feel like i mean i know that that the black mariah character and the guy in the comics is a mess but like um you know, like, I know she was never going to be, like, a virtuous civic leader and then drawn into the world of crime, but I feel like there just needed to be a better arc there of, like, reluctantly dirty to greedily dirty. Do you know well, what I mean? I mean, I like the passion killing. Yeah. That, that worked for me. Yeah. But then she, when she recovers from that and then so quickly in the car, like, the next day is like, well, obviously, we'd have to kill her and everybody in that apartment. And wouldn't it be a shame? I'm like, too far. Just like two steps too far, let shades draw her in like a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, all the pieces seem to be there to, they're just, they're in a weird order that doesn't make sense to me. And then it also doesn't make sense to me. Uh, like a lot of times, like, isn't, isn't there an episode that we start in front of that, you know, uh, the black Mariah's office with the stick up guy putting the gun to his head and then the next episode, mm-hmm. we also start with a flash forward, but he's like taking all the money, but then we jump back in time. So it's two episodes that start at the, the exterior of that building, yeah. but they're both flashbacks. Yeah. And Christmas it's just like, Addicts, I believe is what it was called. Yes. Stuff like so, that is cool if you're not binging, but then the rest of the series is built like I couldn't watch a single episode and keep my focus in the middle, so I, I'd have to binge it. So it just it feels it feels weird. I think I think Neil put it on the head where it just feels like somebody who's running really early at show running and is also stepping into a medium that's the, the way we tell stories on Netflix is changing. Really, really new to show running, and I just I want you know, too many episodes. <laughs> like, <laughs> too many episodes. Yeah, you know, um, and you can you can see um, where showrunner Cheo Coker is really sort of sort of shines is in these. Um, in some of the smaller character moments and in, in also there are a couple characters that are really well developed over the course of the, uh, of the season. Misty Knight is a perfect example. Um, I think her character is probably the, I didn't buy her trauma episode like at all. Like, I really really like, I really love Simone Missick, but like, yeah, this isn't thing that Netflix likes to do where they're like, let's slow down and do like just a two hander 
let's do a flashback, you know? So when, it, when I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to be in therapy all episode. Okay. But like her reaction to Diamondback taking her gun felt like an overreaction to a woman who surely has seen and been through worse. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that makes sense. I, I don't know if that makes me sound like a bad uh, advocate for women and trauma, but like, uh, yeah, it just seemed like, it seemed like too much. I don't know. You kind of expect her in that moment to be a little bit tougher. Yeah. You know, like, not that I wanted to see him do more to her or anything that I didn't, but it just felt like, I'm like, but, but you are a really badass cop. Why is this throwing you as much as it is? Do you know? Mm-hmm. I, yeah. Maybe it's that the characters that lived, like, had to be heroes. So, like, she, you know, grabs uh, Claire by the neck. But then, like, that story beat is also repeated with, like, the hitting the kid. But then you couldn't let Misty hit the kid and still have her be, like, a hero at the end. But that makes for a more complex character outside of just, I'm going to hear the control story. I'm going to deny the control story for 40 minutes. And then I'm going to speak the control story back to my white dude in the interrogation room. John Skirty of uh, Rescue Me fame. No, I'm just rea- I'm just realizing I blacked out most of that episode where I just like re talked it through there's, in my head. Well, there's there's a really weird part. Um, you know, I think we're all we're 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 sounding way more negative on the show than I think we do feel overall. But like, um, there's such a weird part in that scene, and I knew it must be a reference because it's so weird when he brings in the lemonade and he goes, and it is, it's a lyric from a Gangstar song, but he brings in the lemonade and he goes lemonade it used to be a popular drink and she's like still is it's a gangstar lyric from the from the song that gives the show that gives that episode its title Mm -hmm. but it's like gibberish as dialogue it makes (laughs) no sense and then it has like this really tenuous connection to this story that she then tells about her cousin and like I, i was like what is this and, like, the fact that it's a lyric reference is fine, but it's, like... And the fact that it's a reference to a song that I don't know is fine if it made sense as dialogue. Or if it made sense that these two characters would be volleying back and forth lyrics, which they're not. And uh, it just... It's stuff like that that I'm just like, oh, no. So. Sorry, I'm, we should probably talk about things that we liked. <laughs> I, I liked. I liked how many hoodies Mike Coulter went through. Yeah. I like. Uh, I mean, I like that see, transition. I just like all the hoodies. I, like I also hoodies. liked his hoodies. The like, Carhartt hoodie. I want that one, the one with the yellow and black. That's a dope hoodie. I liked the one that he. I liked when he stole one out of the laundry machine. He just stole someone's laundry and then like didn't scuttle away with it. He then just like stopped and took his clothes off and put that person's clothes on, even though that person's probably there in the laundromat. And then what? I liked, they're not there in the laundromat, Joanna. I don't leave my clothes alone in the laundromat. Do you... I do. I use a laundromat every day, so I'm just gonna say it. And you you stay where the the lawn the laundrom the clothes yeah, are because someone could because some person blood soaked person could come in and steal your your white tank top and your gray hoodie. Um, and I if I learned to... anything from from Marla in in Fight Club, it's that no one no one watches their laundry. Just... Is that where you learned it? Did you watch Fight Club and you're like never again? I, I don't know. I just don't like to leave my clothes where someone might. Of all the them. lessons to learn from Fight Club, that would um, be yeah. an interesting one. Um, I mean, that's a good, that's a good point. I probably but, should have paid but, attention. But the best, but the best hoodie exchange has to be um, Method Man, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Even oh, though yeah. it might be the ugliest hoodie. Yeah. <laughs> the I don't know the boxing. One. No, Diego's boxing hoodie is the ugliest hoodie. <laughs> if we're gonna rank that, I mean, in terms of there's why there's hasn't not... Buzzfeed ranked all of uh, Luke Cage's hoodies yet? Yeah. Why hasn't that happened? And. <laughs> I, I think in terms of all the, I don't know, criticism we've done of the, the plotting, I stand by most of that. Everything else I'm mostly okay with. Uh, the, a lot of it, I was a little worried that Vincenzo Natale would go a little over Vincenzo Natale. I think he could have gone a little bit more for his few directing hints. Uh, otherwise, I think a lot of the, the visuals have a lot more to do with lighting, but it really worked for me, especially since that's mostly my complaint with like daredevil. It's like, why be so damn black? Cause the yeah. first season had like a reason. And then the second season just didn't have enough lights. Um, uh, all the performances. Awesome. All the music. Awesome. 
Uh, I wish they could have afforded to build maybe two more sets, but uh, I don't know. I, I Really, everything else, I, I think that they treated the origin story with a lot of respect, and I was really wary about still being in a point with superheroes where I have to watch their origin story. But I kind of I kind of dug it, especially since they had the whole uh, continuing Reva mystery yeah, I like the uh, Reva from stuff. Jessica Jones. Yeah, I really liked the Reva stuff. Um, I I agree with you. What I do like the sort of the visual trio that we have right now: Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Daredevil, where they are of a piece, but I think they but have their own looks. Do you know? So I, yeah. I, I really like how they go together. And so you can see how in the Defender series, they might all blend well together. You know, no one's going to look like they're in the wrong show. Um, well, except for maybe Iron Fist. Yeah, when he shows up in his gaudy green spandex. Yeah. Also, what's his color? Is he is he going to be white? No, he's green, isn't he? Oh, I mean, he's green. He, traditionally. Well, I'm just saying just, in terms just of like his banner color, because you got the red, purple, purple yellow. Yeah. Green. Yeah, he's green. Interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, and they laid some, um, they laid some good groundwork for Iron Fist, so that's fun too. Wait. Okay. So, explain to me the groundwork they laid for Iron Fist, because I think I missed any reference to Iron Fist. I'll uh, take Claire if you want to take the. the I crime mean, aside from Joanna. the Claire thing, aside from Claire being in all the shows. Oh, no. So Claire took uh, very specifically a piece of paper for a self-defense class that the Iron Fist account has tweeted. It's going to be for that character whose name I can't remember. Joanna, who wrote the article. Thank you. Colleen Colleen Wing. Colleen Wing, Wing, who's played by Jessica Henwick of Game of Thrones and Star Wars Oh, isn't she... um, Isn't there a um, tie with her and Missy Knight? They yes, ha- they, they started. A detective agency. Go for it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, the, like in the last episode, we see Claire take a tab off a flyer for Colleen Wing's uh, self defense class. So that's a very direct homage. Uh, a sideways homage is Domingo. Um, the character Domingo is talking to Mariah, and she's like, you know, which which crime leaders are you going to bring to this meeting to get you know killed by Diamondback? And. Uh, <laughs> And he's like, well, this person, this person, this person. He's like, the Chinese have their own thing going downtown, which is, I mean, it just sounds like, I mean, we're all just like assume that Madame Gao, who is in season one of Daredevil and season two of Daredevil, right, um, is going to be like a big player in Iron Fist. So just like, you know, mentioning that the the Chinese drug trade um, and uh, all of that. Not laid the groundwork heavily, but and also mm-hmm. Mike Coulter has talked about, I believe, being an Iron Fist because Power Man and Iron Fist are like, you know, Buddies. buddy buddy cop friends in um in in the comic books. So, well, and I think it was it was surprising to me that there wasn't more a more overt push toward Iron Fist in this in Luke Cage because they're you know in I guess Daredevil season one was really its own thing, but you know, the presence of Luke Cage, significant presence of Luke Cage and Jessica Jones, I thought was a strong point of Jessica Jones. And so it was funny. I was kind of waiting for it. Like it, by like se- episode seven or eight, I was like, all right, well, are they going to do like a little like Iron is, Fist is thing? Danny coming? What's yeah, happening? Is Danny Rand going to show up or uh, is, are they going to mention the Rand corporation or something like that? And uh, nothing. So I was, I was a little thrown off, but um you know that's not that's the least yeah, of not worries, nearly as I much guess. as me, who I'm pretty sure the productions overlapped for two days, so I'm goddamn puzzled as <laughs> well, to maybe, maybe what that was for. Maybe that's when Mike, that, Mike Coulter did some Iron Fist stuff. Um, could it be got, like a could it be like a Batman v Superman thing where there's a scene in Iron Fist that is going on like right next, Ooh. like right down the street from something that happened in Luke Cage. They're talking, and then all of a sudden, Genghis Khan's blo- blows up, and they're like, "Ugh, let's get out of here." Uh, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but they're going back to Hell's Kitchen for Iron Fist, right? Uh, I believe so, but definitely debt back down towards Midtown. I mean, from what I could tell right. from press done uh, pre-release, is that it was supposed to be Jessica Jones Iron Fist. 
but Mike Coulter and Luke Cage just popped so much in Jessica Jones, they pushed uh, Luke Cage forward. So I don't know. I also, also around that time, uh, rumors were heavy that they were having trouble breaking the back half of Iron Fist uh, as like a room of writers. So we'll we'll see how that like pans out, but that might be why Luke Cage is slightly more disconnected. Is like not only do people get it, but we could pull this off really quickly if we keep it self-contained in Harlem and a barn. So why don't we just shoot it that way? Uh, but we'll, I mean, yeah, we'll, have to, guess, we'll have to wait and um, see. I guess the big question for me um, is as we go forward. So we've got Luke Cage now in the can, mm-hmm. and Iron Fist is next. And they're making a Punisher series. Uh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so next year we're getting Iron Fist and Punisher. Are we also getting Defenders next year? Well, we're for sure that- getting Iron Fist and Defenders. The Punisher one is the X factor as to whether Marvel's going to go for three series on Netflix next year. Right. They literally so- are filming it. Like there were set photos today. Of yeah. Him so on it's set. filming under the name Crime currently in new york uh, very subtle yeah very subtle um well i think luke cage was tiara and uh what was jessica jones kick or something like that whiskey bottle whiskey bottle i just made thank that you <laughs> no, no i don't know so I guess, it was um, it, it is something that you could kind of read into but then they're gonna go directly from punisher into defenders which is gonna shoot from i think november into january next year Wait, so that's why the only year? reason that yeah it starts this November like it starts this month, November and then now. rolls into so the reason it seems weird is they announced at Comic Con that Defenders was definitely going to be 2017 and they've just announced that Iron Fist is going to be March, March. Yeah. of 2017 so why are they shooting the Punisher series now are they going to drop it in the summer to kind of mm-hmm. I don't know be Netflixy. Have they right. got some of that extra Netflix money since it wants to be 50% original content now? Well, and I guess so from a narrative standpoint, the question is, at what point do they start bringing this all together? And the existence of a Punisher series in between uh, Iron Fist and Defenders feels like... So I kind of expected Luke Cage to start going there. Like, I didn't expect it to be as self-contained to start sort of tying these worlds together in some way. Like, Daredevil Season 2 sort of started to push out to a larger larger big bad with the hand. Um, so I'm confused as well, to when they're going to get going down the pathway to the Defenders. I think we're just, we're going to see Misty Knight, I believe we're going to see Misty Knight, Luke Cage, Claire Temple, like... I think it's the characters we're going to see go forward rather than the plot actually connecting. Do you know? Right. Well, and it, it seemed like Luke Cage, they sort of tossed it in at the end where she's like, where Claire's like, well, I know a good lawyer. I'll call him. Yeah. So there's well, also, Foggy. So. Uh, there's been a slight change in how people I've talked to and my friends have talked to who are in the know about how people have been talking about Defenders. Uh, the no longer say miniseries. Everyone's saying series like it's going to be at least thirteen episodes. That's too so, many episodes. We used to, we used <laughs> to think like it, you know it was going to be this miniseries event or how it was originally announced was like a miniseries crossover event, which like you know spoke of like maybe a long movie or something. But uh, we're definitely looking at series, so it's possible that all these things just end and then we spend the first half of defenders putting the defenders together and then you know defenders episode eight they'll have the uh one shot uh, action sequence where everybody punches everybody and then we'll you know see how it goes from there uh and punisher stands there and waits till the end and just shoots whoever's left Mm -hmm. Uh, so that'll be fun or punisher like uses luke cage as like a shield let's just like Luke Cage walks forward and Punisher just is shooting from like behind them. Like how you used we to do can, like um, fake arms with your siblings. If Marvel can get Joanna through a full Punisher series, I feel like we'll be in good shape. Like they will have won, won, the, won the war on this one. Oh, uh, yeah. But we'll see. Good luck to them. Uh, <laughs> like 12 episodes? 13 episodes of that guy? Ugh. All that gun fire? Ugh. Well, hey, they're making it now, so maybe that gunfire oh, is part of the series. 
you know? If the series ends with Punisher becoming, like, a gun control advocate, I, you know, the social justice warrior in me will be quite pleased. <laughs> and all the, all the fanboys will be like, Joanna, die in a fire forever. We hate you. No, we'll go straight to Frankencastle through a, a series where he dies. Oh, okay. Mm. I don't think so that'll many, happen, but wouldn't that be so, cool? So many interesting things. I am, I, I will say, coming out of Luke Cage, probably most excited to see Misty Knight crossover with uh, some of the other characters. I think I'm sort of over Claire Temple. Yeah. But I don't think she's going anywhere anytime soon. I get it that she has to be like the 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 cameo glue in all of these series. And she fits well with Luke Cage's love interest. Well, um, it's interesting because like I I, well, I mean this is this this dumbest girliest way to like try to shuffle this deck, but like Misty Knight is going to be Danny Rand's love interest, but also right, but also Colleen Wing is his love interest, I think. And then like Claire Temple as Luke Cage's love interest makes sense, but also like Jessica Jones is referred to as his rebound chick in this episode, but like you know Jessica and Luke mm-hmm. are like a thing in the comics. I don't know, like I. I'm interested in the love threads of the Marvel Avengers series. <laughs> and <laughs> Who's um, sexing who? That's what I want to and know. Matt That's what Punisher's going to be super about. freaked out when Electra comes back. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. Electra, um, you're the and then Punisher's just going to shoot everyone. It'll be fine. It'll I mean, if fun. Claire's the Coulson, then you don't have to deal with Claire more than four episodes in The Defenders, right? Oh, great. Everyone's going to be like, oh, but, you know, I just don't care about her. Um, Bless you, Rosario Dawson. You're wonderful. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I don't care about Claire. I will watch Rosario yeah. Dawson play Claire in however many series exactly. I want to put her in. Exactly. Um, I uh, am ready for the Colleen Wing uh, Misty Knight uh, spinoff series. That's what I'm ready for. Oh, yeah. What is it? There's like a there's a name, like a theoretical name for it. Um, it was like, def- no, what was it called? I don't Somebody referenced it in an article that I was... Yeah, I read too many Luke Cage articles this year, <laughs> uh, in preparation to write I mean, do we think that's Jessica Jones season two? Like, yeah, like a, Misty Knight just like, and <laughs> Jessica as Well, just like pri- private, eye, private Eye Turf War? Mm. I, don't, I don't know. I do think that would be interesting uh, contrast to the planned DC movie, the Harley Quinn all bad girls movie. That oh, they yeah. want to do. You mean that? Well, I mean, were you thinking of Heroes for Hire, Neil? Not Heroes for Hire. There's another one. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was Daughters of something. Oh, Daughters, now Daughters, that's making me think of Daughters of the Dragon. Maybe is that right? Yeah. Are they part of that? Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> for some reason, yeah, I mean, it led me down to like Daughters of the Revolution, and I was like, "This is not right." No, it's not. So let's assume we're going to finish Phase One of Netflix next year. Do we want Phase Two to just be more like? I mean, because like, okay. Daredevil season two, Iron Man two. Let's pretend they're the sequel movements of Marvel that had to shoulder building a world, and so therefore, you know, suffered. Do we like? Why not make all your female private eyes a Jessica Jones season two? Do you really want to go through another overly long Jessica Jones solo season? Um, no. Well, no, because th- I don't think there's a whole lot for her to do now. Don't threaten me with that. Um, okay, fine. <laughs> I will take Colleen Wing, Misty Knight, Jessica Jones, Elektra, and Patsy Walker, all of them together. If Elektra Spider lives Gwen. through Defenders, god damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Bullseye's got to kill her in Defenders, or I've got to, I don't know. Well, it's interesting. Hang up your hat. Um, Hang up your predictor hat. <laughs> This is something that I've thought of a lot. It was just like, where could... Because they love telling, okay, street-level stories, which, as much as it's never going to happen, I will always dream of a Spider-Man series on Netflix, uh, where it's about... It, actually, my theory, this this is total fan fiction right here, but it's great. Would be like a murder show, like a murder mystery show, like a serial killer show, where it's... Um, Carnage as a serial killer and Spider-Man tracking him. Um, I think that would be fantastic. But I don't think that's ever going to happen. What I do think is that Marvel does have other characters that are 
sort of street level heroes that they could get into, you know, kind of like they're getting into their phase three cinematic universe. Um, they're Dr. Strange and they're Ant-Man's. Right. They're Dr. Strange's, they're Ant-Man's, they're Black Panther, um, Captain Marvel. Um, but I think a lot of them are wishful because Dave's probably going to correct me on this. They still don't have access to anything else. Spider-Man. It's just Correct. Marvel Studios, right? So, like, yeah. there's not like a Spider Gwen series that could ever happen, even though that would be like the perfect place for it. Well, it's happening in the cartoons, right, Dave? Yeah, uh, the cartoons. Well, I mean, are- Spider Gwen's shown up on Disney XD for sure, and then I, I, it depends. We don't know that much about the animated Sony Spider Man movie, but I wouldn't count Multiversal Spider Man out of that. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, you, the interesting thing is that Spider-Man is definitely one of Marvel's street-level characters, and because of that, a whole bunch is like tied up in him. So like, I I don't I'm pretty sure they like they can't do Hammerhead because I'm pretty sure like Hammerhead is uh, is a Spider-Man villain first. Kingpin was a mm-hmm. Spider-Man villain first, but they obviously found you know some sort of wheel and deal method of keeping him with Daredevil. So it would be interesting to sort of be like pull those together. I guess right. I would, I I like the idea of this being like a darker street level thing, but honestly, at this point, I kind of want him to get more superhero-y. Right. Like to me, the perfect thing would be a Fantastic Four series that's more like a, you know, family drama spread out over 13 episodes. But again, it's a contractual impossible, well, theoretical contractual impossibility. But like, I love the idea of like exploring New York with their Netflix series, but I don't think that they can, I think they're too limited in what they can do. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, uh, team ups, team ups and a little, a little dash of the silver age every once in a while, not mm-hmm. like obviously manufactured superhero costumes, but like what would stilt man look like in daredevil today? Might be stupid, <laughs> but might be stupid fun. Yeah, the other one, the other one that I always loved is the one that they're making for ABC, which is the cleanup crew. Which is what is it? Um, what's the crew that goes in and cleans up after the superhero battles? Cleanup. Oh, cleanup. Uh, damage control. No, it's I think, damage I think control. Damage control. Right? Oh, I know. I'm yeah. sorry. I just liked the way they called it cleanup. <laughs> Marvel's cleanup sunshine crew. Sunshine cleaning. It's sunshine cleaning. So I guess basically <laughs> what I've done is fully talked myself out of all of my best Netflix show ideas. So yeah, they're just gonna have to make like four more seasons of Punisher. Sorry, Joanna. No. <laughs> cool, because it's all the other interesting like street level New York characters are either. Uh, so marketable that they have to have a movie every time, like Spider Man no, or need a Kate Bishop show. I want a Kate Bishop. Who's Kate Bishop? She's Hawkeye. They could do that. She's Hawkeye. But yeah, bring in a girl Hawkeye. Yeah. They could reclaim some uh, Agents of Shield characters for sure. I mean, Agents of Shield has laid some sort of groundwork, but there's like no communication between ABC and Netflix, which is sad because they're both eating at like each other's a, price range of hero. There is a ghostwriter reference in luke cage uh there is yeah they reference johnny blaze um and ghost Rider is currently on uh Asian Social. Hmm. but that's not the johnny blaze version oh never mind then <laughs> i'm not that's the robbie reyes i'm version. not watching agents of shield anymore <laughs> I guess I just made that very clear. You should go back. He's our Latin no, superhero. No, no, we got no, Latin Dave, Marvel hero. You do that all the time. You do that all the time. Try to pull me, only, try to pull me back only in. Only in the fall because that's when I give everything a new a new try. It's never, it's never happening. Ages of Chilled and I are done. Um, this is a good transition to talk about where we're going next week because tonight, it's Tuesday, tonight is the premiere of The Flash. Where are we? Huzzah! Na, 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 na. Where are we going? Flashpoint. Where are we going next week, Neil? Uh, next week we're going to. I choose Central City because I. Uh, that is to me zoom, zoom. the middle of the the DC <laughs> uh, televisionary universe. Because it's, uh, because it's so central. So cent- well, also because located. they can't figure out. They can't figure out the name of the city in Arrow. They keep changing it. And, uh, <laughs> That's true. I don't know where Supergirl lives. It doesn't matter. And Legends of Tomorrow, do they 
do they live anywhere? They don't. I don't uh, know. I stopped watching that show. The wave rider. Oh, that spaceship, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, or time machine. Whatever you want. The time spaceship. Um, it is both. <laughs> it's, a, it's a TARDIS, <laughs> let's be honest. Um, the uh, Where does Supergirl live? It's right across the bay from Metropolis, isn't it? Oh, um, no, because that's Gotham. Oh, yeah. She lives in... Oh, Something... Shit. Jersey? City? Jersey? No, no, no. I forgot it's, about that. Uh, this is what happens when a show goes from CBS to the CW. I'm like, now I have to care about you again? I forgot about that. that- National City. I thought it's it's National City, and that reminds me of a bank in Ohio where I grew up. So, I, um, it's super boring. I liked how they did make... Yeah, because didn't, didn't Zack Snyder say that Gotham was like the San Jose to Metropolis's San Francisco or something No, it was like more like... It was even more racist than that. It was it was like the Oakland to the San Francisco, whereas like Gotham's the one with all the crime, oh and <laughs> Met- Metropolis is where all the rich white people live. And it's like, oh, Zack Snyder, come on, good job, buddy. Um, Zack Snyder, yeah. man, he's been being like, oh, you guys, you guys like pictures of me drawn on my iPad with the bat glove, and people are like, spoilers, and I'm like, no, that's not a spoiler. It's just that's just a bat Netflix. glove. Batman's yes. in the movie. It's not a spoiler. What? Yeah, it's Batman. <laughs> Batman's in a Zack Snyder movie. The Batman? I bet he also survives the movie as well in order to make another Justice League movie and his own solo movie. This is hot, hot predictions All right, so you can, from me. You can hear these these hot, hot DC takes uh, when we go to Central City next week for the yeah. CW quartet of Supergirl, Flash, Arrow, and Legends of Tomorrow, right? Indeed, yeah. Legends of Tomorrow just got relegated to etc. on the dock, but the rest, yes, for sure. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> that show is all etc. No, Legends of Tomorrow has like three great characters. I think Legends of, Legends of Tomorrow has more characters I care about than Arrow does. It's just a, a I mess. am mm. wait, wait wait literally right now holding my proudly owned Legends of Tomorrow season one DVD. What? Yeah, no, wow. I I love this show. Oh. It's stupid, and it's about time travel and superheroes. Of course, oh, I'm gonna, we're gonna love this show. We're gonna dig into that one next right. week. <laughs> yeah, we are. There's gonna be a whole down. society to dig into. It's gonna be great. <laughs> so until cool. next week, fellow superheroes, where can we find more of your work on the internet, Miss Joanna Robinson? Uh, yeah, you can you can find two stories I wrote about Luke Cage over on VanityFair.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at Joe wrote this. And Mr. Neil Miller? Uh, you can find me writing things, filmschoolrejects.com, or tweeting at rejects. And be sure to follow the show at Storm of Spoilers, where uh, now that I'm not in film festival mode, I'll make sure that we have more tweets this week. So, for y'all. <laughs> and I'm Dave Gonzalez. Spell my first name, DA70, which is also my Twitter handle, blog at geek.com, podcast at fightingintheworldroom.com, and perpetually geeking out about something. Look for my exhaustive list of Godzilla movies on Thrillist this week. I've been bleeding for you internally. (laughs) See you next week. (laughs) 